Chapter thirty five of At the Time Appointed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. At the Time Appointed by A. Maynard Barber. Chapter thirty five. A Fiend at Bay. Kate, on leaving her carriage, directed the driver to go back to the Pines to await Mr. Britton's return and bring him immediately to the office. She then unlocked the door to the room which had been Darrell's office, and which opened directly upon the street, and she and her companion entered and seated themselves in the darkness. The room next adjoining was Walcott's private office, and beyond that was Mr. Underwood's private office, the two latter rooms being separated by a small entrance. They had waited but a few moments when Mr. Underwood's carriage stopped before this entrance, and an instant later Kate heard her father's voice directing the coachman to call for him in about an hour. As the key turned in the lock she heard Walcott's voice also. The two men entered and went at once into Mr. Underwood's private office. Mr. Underwood immediately proceeded to business in his usual abrupt fashion. "'Mr. Walcott, there is no use dallying or beating about the bush.' I want this partnership terminated at once. There's no use in an honest man and a thief trying to do business together, and this interview tonight is to find the shortest way of dissolving the partnership. I think that can be very easily and quickly done, Mr. Underwood, Walcott replied. Kate, who had stationed herself in the entrance where she had a view of both men, saw the cruel leer that accompanied Walcott's words, and understood their significance as her father did not. Her hand sought the bosom of her dress for an instant, then dropped quietly at her side, but swift as the movement was, her companion had seen in the dim light the gleam of the weapon now partially concealed by the folds of her skirt. With noiseless, cat-like step, she approached Kate and touched her arm. "'You will not shoot! You will not kill him!' she breathed rather than whispered. Kate's only reply was to lay her finger on her lips, never removing her eyes from Walcott's face, but even then, in her absorption, she noted a peculiar quality in those scarcely audible tones, something that was neither fear nor love. There seemed somehow an element of savagery in them. Meanwhile, Mr. Underwood was going rapidly through the evidence which he had accumulated, showing mismanagement and fraud in the conduct of the business of the firm, and misappropriation of some of the funds held in trust. Of the wholesale robbery, the plans for which Walcott had so nearly perfected, he knew absolutely nothing. As Walcott listened, the sneer on his face deepened. "'You seem to have gone to a vast amount of labor for nothing,' he remarked, as Mr. Underwood concluded. "'I could have given you that much information offhand. You have not lived up to your part of the contract.' and I see no reason why I should be expected to fulfill mine. You promised me your daughter in marriage, and then simply because she saw fit. We will leave my daughter's name out of this controversy, sir, Mr. Underwood interposed sternly. Were it not for the fact that your name has been publicly associated with hers, I would prosecute you for the scoundrel and blackleg that you are. "'But for the sake of your daughter's name you intend to deal leniently with me,' Walcott sneered. "'Supposing we come at once to the point of dissolving our partnership. It cannot be done any too quickly for me. May I inquire on what terms you propose to settle?' 
Mr. Underwood went briefly over the terms which he had outlined on a sheet of paper before him on his desk. Walcott, seated eight or ten feet distant, listened, his dark face paling with anger. "'Pardon me,' he said at the conclusion. "'I think I missed a few details. Suppose we go over that again together.' He rose and advanced towards Mr. Underwood's chair as though to look over his shoulder, at the same time thrusting his right hand within the inner pocket of his coat. Before he had covered half the space, however, a voice rang through the room with startling clearness. "'Not a step farther, or you are a dead man.' Both men turned to see Kate Underwood standing in the doorway, holding a revolver leveled at Walcott with an aim which the latter's practiced eye told him to be both sure and deadly. Astonishment and rage passed in quick succession over his countenance, he looked for an instant as though contemplating some desperate move. "'Stir one hair's breadth, and you are a dead man,' she repeated. He remained motionless, and the hand just withdrawn from his coat disclosed to view a tiny glittering stiletto. Kate's only anxious thought was for her father, who, too bewildered to move or speak, was for the time as motionless as Walcott himself. She feared lest the suddenness of the shock might prove too much for him. To her relief, she heard Mr. Britton entering. He took in the situation at a glance, and sprang at once to her side. "'I'm all right,' she cried brightly. "'Look after Papa first, then we will attend to this creature.' With the revolver still leveled at Walcott, Kate slowly advanced towards him. "'Give me that weapon,' she demanded. He gave a sinister smile, but before she had taken another step, her companion sprang into the room with a piercing cry and intercepted her. "'No, no, senorita!' she exclaimed. "'Do not touch it! Mother of God, it is poisoned! A single scratch means death!' At sight of her, Walcott's face grew livid. "'You fiend! You she-devil!' he hissed. "'This is your doing, is it?' And he burst into a torrent of curses and imprecations. "'Be silent,' Mr. Britton ordered sternly, and Kate accompanied the command with an ominous click of her revolver. The wretch cowered into silence, but his eyes glowed with fairly demoniac fury. "'Now,' said Mr. Underwood, his faculties fully restored, "'I want to know the meaning of this. Let us sift this whole thing to the bottom.' "'Search your man first, David,' said Mr. Britton, and suiting the action to the word, he approached Walcott, but was warded off by the woman standing near. "'No, no, senor, a little turn of the wrist, so slight you would not see, would cause death. I will take it from him. The viper dare not sting me.' As she extended her hand, she tauntingly held her wrist close to the tiny point, scarcely larger than a good-sized pin. "'Life and freedom are precious, senor,' she said in low mocking tones, as she took the weapon from him and handed it to Mr. Britton, who laid it carefully on a table nearby, and then proceeded to search Walcott's clothing, saying, "'I want you to see what you've been dealing with, David.' To the stiletto, already placed upon the table, were added another of a larger size, two loaded revolvers, several packages of valuable securities taken from the vaults of the firm that afternoon, and a nearly complete set of duplicate keys to the safes and deposit boxes of the offices. Mr. Britton then relieved Kate, congratulating her warmly, and stationed himself near Walcott, who glowered like a wild beast that, temporarily restrained by the keeper's lash, 
only awaits opportunity for a more furious onslaught later. Kate stepped at once to her father's side. He turned upon her a look of affectionate pride, but before he could speak she had drawn forward her companion, saying, "'Here is one, Papa, to whom we owe much. She has saved your life to-night, for I would not have known you were in danger if she had not warned me, and she saved me from worse than death in preventing the carrying out of the farce of an illegal marriage with that villain, by giving me a glimpse of his real character before it was too late.' The change that passed over Mr. Underwood's countenance during Kate's words was fearful to see. From the kindliness and courtesy with which he had greeted the stranger, his face seemed changed to granite, so hard and relentless it became. "'An illegal marriage? What do you mean?' he demanded, and there was something in his voice that no one present had ever heard there before. "'Illegal, Papa, because this woman is his lawful wife.' and Kate gave a brief explanation of the situation. "'Is that so?' he appealed to the woman, his tones strangely quiet. "'Yes, senor. I have the papers to prove it.' "'Do you admit it?' he demanded of Walcott, with a glance which made the latter quail, while his hand sought one of the loaded revolvers lying on the table. "'We were married years ago, but I did not know the woman was living. I swear I did not.' I supposed she was dead until the day she came to me. How about the past year? You have known all this time that she was living, yet you have dared to press your suit for my daughter, you dog. Not another word, he exclaimed, as Walcott strove to form some excuse. He raised his hand, and the revolver gleamed in the light. Mr. Britton grasped him by the arm. David, old friend, calm yourself, he exclaimed. Don't be rash or foolish. Let the law take its course. "'The law,' interposed Mr. Underwood fiercely. "'Do you think I'd take a case of this kind to the courts? "'Charges such as these against a man "'whose name has been publicly associated with my daughter's "'as her betrothed husband, "'and the principal witness against that man, his own wife. "'Do you suppose for a moment I'll have my daughter's name "'dragged through such mire? "'No, by God, I'll blow the dog's brain out with my own hand first. A fierce struggle ensued for a moment between the two men, which ended in John Britton's disarming his friend, Kate, meanwhile, keeping Walcott at bay as he sought in the momentary confusion to effect an escape. Once calmed, Mr. Underwood, notwithstanding Mr. Britton's protestations, sullenly refused to prosecute Walcott. Telephoning for an attorney who was an old-time and trusted friend, he had an agreement drawn and signed, whereby, upon the repayment of the funds belonging to him, after deducting an amount therefrom sufficient to replace what he had misappropriated, he was to leave the country altogether. "'You have escaped this time,' were Mr. Underwood's parting words. "'But remember, if you ever again seek to injure me or mine, no power on earth can save you, and I'll not go into the courts either.' As Kate and her strange companion parted, the former inquired, "'Why did you ask me not to shoot him? You surely cannot love him.' "'Love him!' she exclaimed softly. "'No, but I feared you would kill him. His time has not come yet, senorita, but when it does, this must be the hand.' She lifted her own right hand with a significant movement as she said this, and glided out into the darkness, and was gone ere Kate could recall her.
when Kate and her father, with Mr. Britton's assistance, before returning home for the night, removed the articles taken from Walcott's pockets, the tiny poisoned stiletto was nowhere to be found. End of chapter 35